There's story after story after story. Recruiting is never the problem. Never. I don't use that word lightly. Recruiting is not the problem. You you don't have a recruiting problem. You have a strategy problem. The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew. And there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit, yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. Today's guest is an expert in building talent-centric organizations. Her passion for leadership and people development, both driving her why, as she has guided hundreds of companies as a coach, consultant, and headhunter over the last 30 years. In today's conversation, we dig into what a talent-centric organization is, how to create one in your company, and the three hallmarks towards realizing success. CEO and founder of Vertical Elevation and author of the newly published book, Powered by People, Carol Schultz, welcome to The Dirt. Jim, it is a pleasure, as always, to talk with you. Pleasure to have you here. So this uh, this term, talent-centric organization, talk to me. <laughs> Can you be a little more specific? <laughs> what is, yeah, you know, what, what you've got a whole book about it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's incredible. I've obviously read it and... But, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, what, what is a talent-centric organization? Right. At, at the highest level, a talent-centric organization is, a, is an organization where the executive team is totally aligned in their vision, in their business strategy, and their leadership strategy, as well as the types of leaders that they are. Then, and only then, can a company build an effective talent strategy to support that alignment. Without those two things hand in hand, you can't get a talent-centric organization. I mean, that's at the very highest level what that is. So putting your talent at the center of the organization. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it, 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 sounds like a, it sounds like such a simple thing, yeah. right? But in reality, mm-hmm. it's not, is it? Not even, not even close. And, you know, what I have experienced over the years, I first built this process in 2008. I had 16 years of search under my belt and woke up one morning and said, man, recruiting is so screwed up, (laughs) mostly because it's a low barrier to entry, you know, uh, industry. And um, it, it, there's just so much that doesn't work about it. And I started to build this process. So ultimately, what, what most people think is, okay, well, that person just turned over. Let's recruit another one and another one and another one. And as you, you, know, as you read in the book, and as others will when they read it, there's story after story after story. Recruiting is never the problem. Never. I don't use that word lightly. Recruiting is not the problem. You, have, you don't have a recruiting problem. You have a strategy problem. I mean, it really, in the simplest form, that's what it is. I mean, it's complex to get there because it's different for every company. Every company has different needs. 
but this is disruptive, right? Like in the way yeah. that in the way that companies view the world today versus mm-hmm. the way that you're having to educate folks when you get yes. engaged. Mm-hmm. What are, what are the the typical obstacles that that you're running into? Well, I haven't really been running into too many obstacles. The obstacles that would would typically be there. And, and the reason I don't is because I'm dealing directly with the CXO. I mean, primarily founders and CEOs, mm-hmm. occasionally a COO on, on an occasion, somebody who's, you know, CHRO, but the people who really have the power to change is the founder and CEO or somebody on the board who says, this isn't working. We need to, we need to, we need to fix this. Right. So what happens is the challenges are that. Either let's say maybe somebody in HR brings it to the CEO and the CEO is just, no, I'm not interested in that. I don't, I'm not interested in coaching. I don't need it. I mean, you and I've had this conversation before. Mm -hmm. I'm not, there's nothing wrong. I don't need coaching. Well, that's a really glass half empty way to look at things. (laughs) Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's instead of looking at where your, where your forward progress can be, you're looking at, you're really looking at it just in a really negative way. So yep. it's got to be brought by the leader of the company because if the leader is not bought into this process, there's nothing I or anyone else can say or do. And are they typically, you know, the folks that you talk to, um, leaders that you talk to, are they, are they coming to you saying, I, I need to change this, um, but I don't know how? Or is it, you know, here's what's happening in my organization. Um, can you tell me what's at the heart of it? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And it's typically the latter. Right. People, people will reach out um, or they'll respond to a reach out that my team has done and say, yeah, I'm having this issue. Can we, you know, let's have a discovery call and try to figure out why that's happening. You know, and, and I'm not shy. It's, it's in the book. You've read it. I've read it. I've, I've talked to many founders and CEOs and asked them these questions. There's two really important questions I ask in discovery. The first is, if I asked everyone on your executive team what their vision is, you know, what's your vision for this company? Am I going to get the same answer? Mm. Like, like authentically, like they're not just, you know, barfing out information because they think you want to hear that. Right. And the second thing is, and, you know, I call this a really, it's kind of a red herring is what department or function in your organization, do you believe is the most important to its success? <laughs> mm-hmm. I get all kinds of interesting answers to that question. I mean, I had somebody recently say to me, well, if you talk to my head of, head of sales, he'd say, well, we're the most important. And my um, head of technology would say, well, we're the most important. We build the product. you know." And then if you ask my uh, CFO, he'd say, well, we're the most important because we take care of the money. I said, and I said to him, well, what's, what's your response? He says, I don't think there is a most important department. And I said, bravo, that's the right answer. But what that tells me is he's not totally aligned and they probably just haven't worked on it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is living in, you know, what I call a blind spot. They're not even thinking about these things. And if you're not even thinking about them, they're living in a place that makes it, it really is impossible to get to those things so that you're actually forwarding your organization in, in the direction you want it to go. Sure, sure. So would it be fair to say it always starts with 
leadership having an aligned vision that everyone can articulate? Yep. Yeah. See that time and time again. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure you do with the, with the companies that you work with, right? Yeah. I mean, do you walk in and think, oh my God, what, are, what were these guys thinking? <laughs> yeah. Or, or, you know, wow, major opportunity to help. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that term talent, people centric organization, you know, when I was reading your book, you know, that, that being the first cornerstone leadership, having an aligned vision, you know, spot on, but, you know, really the, the other two cornerstones or the other two, um, you know, uh, hallmarks as you call them in your book that you touch on equally as important, um, you mind you know sharing sharing with the audience what those other two cornerstones are those other two hallmarks so the first of those two is a people development strategy really that goes from recruiting to succession and we're talking about not just the c suite right mm-hmm. a lot of times when people think of succession they think of oh, what are we going to do when the ceo leaves right especially if anybody's watched succession the show succession right which is which is fantastic yeah. and you know, everybody's fighting to see who's going to be the next ceo and, you know, you really have to look at any, any, any position in an organization that you would, if, if that person left, you'd be like, oh, shit, now we're in trouble. You better think of a succession strategy. That could be your engineering team. I mean, these are the most critical hires in the United States, probably worldwide engineers, mm-hmm. right? And then the second of those two is awareness of blind spots from built-in feedback loops, right? So I just talked a little bit about it. and. You know, that is, you know, the work for, you know, when I start asking questions of people and starting to discover what some, where some of these blind spots are, because you can't, once those blind spots are no longer a blind spot, they're, they, they, they go into the realm of, I know what I know. They're no longer a blind spot living in, I don't know what I don't know. Once you get them out of that place, then and only then can you actually put in a structure to support you in moving forward past those things and how to deal with them so they don't limit you any longer? Well said. One more time for everyone. Those three, those three themes or those three hallmarks. Leadership with an aligned vision everyone can articulate. People development strategy from recruiting to succession beyond the C-suite and awareness of blind spots from built-in feedback loops. Yeah, man. Spot on. <laughs> so as you're thinking, it only took me 30 years. Yeah. Oh, is that all? Yeah, almost 30 years to figure that out. Right. <laughs> Seems simple. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, you know, um, but, but the simple, simple as it is, it's mm-hmm. complex to, to, to navigate, right. Yeah. Um, to yes. first obviously start off with that vision and then also work your way through the, mm-hmm. the built-in feedback loops for, for folks out there that are, um, you know, having aha moments right now, or maybe even just thinking about, you know, how do I implement something like this in my own organization? You you have any tips that, you know, they might be able to just think about as um, other than reading your book, of course, um, Mm -hmm. as they're, as they're thinking about, you know, what that transition might look like. To becoming a talent centric organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really got, it's interesting because the CEO founder who's really going to lead this whole process has to be fully bought in and understanding things are not working the way I'd like them to. Mm. We need to make some changes. What's that going to look like? How painful is it going to be? 
And are we going to lose people? Yeah. Right. The answer to the second questions are how painful is it going to be? Well, it might be painful <laughs> for some more than others. Okay. For those who are big advocates of coaching and, and might and, and actually understand what great coaching is, it can still be hard because I mean, I can only talk from my personal experience. Man, did I go through some shit to get where, you know, to get where I am. And I and I'm certainly still working on it, right? Um, you know, and then the part about losing people, I always tell that that executive who's, you know, looking to looking to hire me potentially. In this, you know, in the discovery, which depending on the size of the team could be one day, could be two days, right? Um, in that discovery, I might discover that one of your people might likely need to be gone, moved out of a role. Like they have to be committed to that. Yeah. I, you know, I'd rather under promise and over deliver. And, you know, expectations are really, really important to me. And, and, you know, think about your own, think about your own business and anybody listening to this, because managing expectations is really critical. I mean, really, really critical and better to present a proper expectation. So everybody understands what the possible ramifications are, because, you know, what, I mean, you know, put in some, put in some adjectives, you know, that happen with unmet expectations. Mm. frustration, anger. I mean, come up with any negative word that it'll probably fit there. Right. So it's, it really takes a commitment, which is distinctly different from wanting to do something. Yeah. Especially in smaller teams that have a lot of familial culture in, in so many mm -hmm. cases, right. Right. Mm -hmm. As the organization becomes a, a growth organization versus a startup, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the talent in the organization needs to evolve or, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, move on. Um, mm -hmm. that's tough for founders. Mm -hmm. I, you know, any, any, um, any specific example, whether that's through your own in building companies or, or, you know, one of the folks that you're working with now that that's got a challenge like that, where they just don't know, Oh my God, do I, do I get rid of this person? Right. Um, can I get rid of this person? This person's been with me through, you know, they got me mm -hmm. to 5 million in revenue or 10 million or 20 million. I, mm -hmm. I owe an allegiance. Mm -hmm. Any, anything like that, 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 that's, that's come up. Yeah. I, I, the most important, let me respond to the, you know, I got to get rid of somebody, right? Yeah. This is, I mean, this causes major angst for CEOs and founders. I mean, major angst. Fucking and <laughs> you're laughing. Yes. I, know, I, I know. said it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It is hard because it's never, I, I'd like to think it's not easy to let someone go, right? So I think the most important rule to realize, I had a CEO say this to me once, that when I first met him, which was, you know, when we need to move somebody, we sit down and we talk to him about it. And I mean, everything he said was exactly the way I would have told him to handle it. What we want to do is this isn't working, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Here's why. But, you know, you've been really loyal to us and you've been, you know, you've gotten us from point A to point B, but we don't believe you're going to get us from point B to point C. But we also don't want to just throw you out like the trash. Right. We're going to do everything we can to help you make this transition successfully and whatever we can do for you in giving you referrals, 
helping you out. That's really, I think, what what companies that really care about people do. <laughs> they don't yeah. just say bye bye. Well, and, and, and not just and that, it takes but, a lot of extra effort, but yeah. And, and allowing a person to um, stay in an organization that's mm-hmm. that you know isn't going to be a good fit is just as harmful, right? That's right. It's harmful to the person and it's harmful to the organization. It, it, and you're right, Jim. And the other piece of that is the fact that we become really attached mm. <laughs> to yeah. people and to things in our lives. When you have an emotional attachment to something or someone, and I think every one of us can can point to a place where we've had an emotional attachment. But when we have an emotional attachment to something, it makes it all the more difficult because we cannot look at at it objectively. So when I've got an executive who's running into that problem, I can't get rid of them. I'm going to start asking questions because the reason you can't get rid of that person, it's something inside of you. So that's an opportunity for coaching. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity for me to help you get to what's there for you. I mean, something happened somewhere in your life when you were a kid, you know, at some point that had you be a particular way and start making decisions that way. This isn't the only place in your life where you're having trouble making this kind of a decision. Right. So that's just something else in a blind spot. It's an opportunity to go look for it get at it, find out what it's from, the limitation it's causing you, and and to actually assist you at getting actually over that fence. Because mm-hmm. once you're on the other side and, and all that, that pain and all that angst that you've been suffering with, right? There's lots of exercises I do with people to look at these things. But once you can get on the other side of that fence, you're like, that wasn't so horrible after all. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Do do you have any exercises that you encourage folks to, you know, even before they engage you or whether they're ready to engage you or not, um, do on their own? I, um, any, anything, anything that, you know, if someone's like, just doesn't, just is resonating with this, right. But might not be mm-hmm. ready to, to, you know, yeah, pull the trigger. Yeah. What can they yeah. do? I, yeah. I've, I've got a couple and I can, I can talk through them with you. What I will say is it's much harder to do it on your own. And, and often I will, I will take somebody, even if they're not ready and just a discovery call and I'll do an exercise with them because if I can, if I can walk away from someone having given them even one thing out of a call, even if they're not ready to hire me or they're just, you know, they just can't get themselves into that position yet. Yeah. You know, I'm leaving them off better than when I found them. One of the really important things is, and there's, there's, you may remember seeing there's a piece about this in the book. Um, it's, it's like a Venn diagram, but it's with only two, two circles on it. And it's about the stories that we live, mm-hmm. right? And one side of that is the facts or what happened in the story, like the actual facts of the story. The other side of that is the story you make up around the facts and where you live is where they cross over like an event diagram. Sure. That is becomes your truth. It's not the truth. It's your truth. Right. And that's really important to be clear about. So I would encourage somebody as they're, you know, even if it's in their head, well, you know, I, I, this problem and that person yelled at me and whatever that might be, separate those two things out. Here's the facts. And, and this is why it's hard to do on your own, but you can at least get part, the, part partly to that. 
Um, and here's a story. And if you can really be honest with yourself as you're going through that in your mind and you're starting to write it down, you know, you may write something under the fact and think, you know what? I'm actually just embellishing that. That's not really the fact. That's that's what I'm making up about the fact. Right. By seeing that on paper, that is hugely beneficial at helping helping you see, oh God, look at this. I'm just like living like, I mean, you're living like this stuff is the truth and it's not. And yeah. it limits you. It limits all of us. It limits all of us, right? That's right. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not different. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, done. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're never, yeah. we're never done. If we, no, we're never done. We I mean, are, I, I was, I just went through this myself recently. Yeah. It's hugely talk, frustrating. Talk, thing. talk to us about no, that. I don't want to talk about no, it. You have to. This is the oh dirt, Carol. God, Sorry. You're shouldn't on. Have, shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> okay. So um, this is in my personal life. And, and I always say you don't have business problems. You have personal problems that show up in your business. Yeah. So this happens to be a very close friend of mine. We've kind of had a falling out due to some circumstances that I don't really, you know, need to get into the details about that. Um, and, you know, I should know better. I've only got, you know, 25 years of training, <laughs> right? But this is a great example of how we all need this work, mm. even me. And I should have engaged with my coach sooner, right? Mm -hmm. But I was, I was just, I was operating under being so angry and all this shit was going on in my head. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not true. This is not true. This is not true. I'm making all this stuff up. Yep. And I finally reached out to her and I said, listen, this is really, this is really important, by the way, for everyone listening. If they don't already realize this, be accountable. Even if you think they're part of the problem, keep your mouth shut and apologize. Yeah. You were, and I said, you were right about this. You were right about that. Um, this happened because, which is not an excuse. It's just what's so for me, yeah. right? I have forgotten about this because I'm used to doing it this way. And then when we did it that way, I'd completely forgotten about this whole piece of the story of the facts, I should say. And it was in that moment, she said, and I said, and I would really, we really need to talk. I'd like to get the air cleared. Um, and, you know, we can sit down and hash this out um, if you are willing to, but I'm really sorry. Cause I know, you know, I'm, I'm sure I caused most of this. And she's like, fine, I'm happy to talk. Yeah, I mean. And just that in and of itself, I might add, has, has allowed me to start sleeping again. I mean, it's that's, been incredibly that's, disruptive for my sleep, which is not good for me. Right, but like having that crucial conversation and mm -hmm. using, you know, what I refer to as the the ladder of inference, right? Of, of mm -hmm. using data and then putting, you know, um, you know the, the elements around data on top of that. Yeah. Um, to draw conclusions and, and making sure to state things in a way that's, um, you know, gets a real conversation through that's yeah. hard because <laughs> emotions get the best of all of us. Well, and it's, it's not even just, I mean, of course that's exactly correct. It is emotions, but we also have a big driver around wanting to be right and not wanting to be wrong. Mm. That's, Indeed. that's other work that I do with people, you know, yeah. it, it's, and, and, you know, we don't have the time to, to go into all the details about that, but, you know, we learn right and wrong from the time we're children and that drives a great amount of behavior. It's embedded into religion. 
right, right. and wrong. It's everywhere in our lives. And it, it's hard when that's embedded within us to actually step away from it and start to look at it and think it's not actually about right and wrong. It's about what's being effective or ineffective or what works or what doesn't work. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, these are distinctions in communication. I start to talk about with people how to, how to use your language in a different way so that, that it, because those words, when you tell somebody they were right, yay, I feel so good about myself. And when you tell them, you know, you're wrong, they feel, they, they probably feel really crappy about themselves. They may. Yeah. Oh, I'm shitty. And you know, meh, oh, what was me? They start having bad, you know, self-esteem issues when really that's not the effect you want to have on someone. Right. Just not. On both the human level and the performance level. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. And um, I'm reminded of this, uh, this book that I, that I love talking about called necessary endings, right. About mm-hmm. pu- pulling the trigger, whether it's in your personal life um, or it's, it's in your business life or just, you know, whatever your life mm-hmm. it's, if, if a relationship stops being uh, meaningful on both ends or, you know, is, is, is becoming hateful on one end, yeah. a conversation is necessary, but more importantly, sometimes relationships have necessary endings. Correct. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. With a, and so, you know, luckily that's not an example of a necessary ending, right? Cause you guys right. were able to power through and, and have a great conversation, but, but man, any, any examples that, a, you know, it's the outcome might have been a little bit more difficult, right. Where there was a necessary ending that, you know, other folks can learn from. Yeah. So again, I can, I, I, I'm going to use, I'm going to use examples from my own personal life just because I think often that mm-hmm. those are the most valuable to mm-hmm. us. You know, in thinking that, you know, again, I can't reiterate enough. We don't have business problems. We have personal problems that show up in our business. Yeah. Right. So uh, I had a an old, a very old friend of mine, I, I know from, you know, undergraduate who had said to me one time, boy, you sure do throw people out of your life. And I said, easily, I said, oh, no, 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 I don't. I said, I don't do it without considerable thought, mm. considerable thought. But, and, and it's interesting because she's now gotten to that point where I am that I, that I discovered mm. when I started discovering probably over about 20 years ago, right? Which is, I know my own weaknesses, right? We all have them. So do I continue to fight against my weaknesses and work on those? Well, of course I do. But, you know, again, it's a lifelong process often. and. I had a friend who would always say to me, oh, Carol, what do I do about this? And what do I do about that? And she would never, we would talk. She would never take the coaching. Mm. <laughs> she just, you know, uh, um, you know, the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and then after I moved here to Colorado 19 years ago, I, had, I, I, I broke off with her after I moved here because it wasn't healthy for me to be in the relationship. Mm. That's what I had to look at with my own issues that I am dealing with. Do I continue to fight with what I'm dealing with and keep getting sucked into this, which is not healthy for me? Or do I just cut things off and say, you know what? I know where my limitations are now. This is again, this is almost 20 years ago, right? These are where my limitations are right now. I cannot do this. And I walked away. She was a very, very angry with me. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. right. 
I mean, yeah. you're you're the equestrian, not me. So I should probably <laughs> yeah, right. you say that. But <laughs> you know, it's it's a uh, that it, it has to happen, and it's mm-hmm. great to great to hear about someone coming back to you and realizing you know some of the sage advice that you had offered previously, and and kind of you know kind of all have to live that for mm-hmm. ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh that's 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 incredible. Um any you know any other any other thoughts on um you know hard conversations crucial conversations things along those lines you know conversations can be yeah and and the one that comes closest to mind and i've got a story about this in the book also is um an organization this is quite some time ago i don't know this has got to be maybe 15 years ago by by now that maybe 15 years ago uh, headquartered here in town, um, the Denver metro area, that's all I'll say. And the um, founder was college roommates with the main venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. They had a chief strategy officer that, well, let me let me digress for a moment. Um, somebody I knew very well was hired on as the fifth five, fifth head of sales in six and a half years. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is a huge problem. This again, this is not a recruiting problem, right? This is a strategy problem. There's a problem here. So I started in my uh, very best way of, of reaching out to people blindly and getting them to talk to me, getting, you know, ensuring that I was not going to throw anyone under a bus. Right. Um, and the common denominator, I, I must have talked to, of the five, and my, my buddy was the fifth. So of the four prior heads of sales, I believe I'd spoke to two or three of them, aside from some other employees, okay, past employees. Mm-hmm. And the common denominator I heard from every single one of them was that the chief strategy officer was a, and I quote, cancer to the company. Why? Because this individual was gossiping about employees to other employees, trashing employees to other employees. I mean, who does that? Yeah, a lot of people. 12? Yeah. I mean, it's so damaging. And when I reached out to, uh, I happened to know the partner of the main venture capitalist. I reached out to him and I said, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, just call my partner. Tell him, you know, you know me, he'll talk to you. And I did that. And the guy says to me, and I think he's learned a lot more. You know, this is is a number of years ago. I'd like to think he's learned considerably more now than he knew then. You know, a lot of people become venture capitalists because they had one successful exit. Now they know everything. Mm. No, you don't. You've probably run into that yourself. And um, he said to me, are you telling me we don't know how to hire? I said, no, it's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you you have a problem. (laughs) Right. Don't you want to know about it? And if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Right. You know, the company no longer exists. P.S. They sold off the technology. Because he probably didn't have the stones to fire his buddy, the CEO, the founder. And bring in somebody who actually knew how to build a company. Right. There you go. I mean that that's that's a um, age old story <laughs> that keeps on, yeah. keeps on repeating. 
Yeah, right? that's right. Again, definition of insanity. Definition, definition of insanity. Indeed. I mean, yeah. you know, one thing I love about um, what you do and the exclusiveness that that you have in working with folks to 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 reach a talent centric organization, and you know, also the you know exclusiveness that we offer with growth stage technology companies mm-hmm. is it is exclusive, and we make sure people are coachable, and and mm-hmm. we want to make sure that businesses are successful. But at the end of the day, you know, a founder's got to recognize their own um, faults and their own ability to grow before the company can see it, um, mm-hmm. can see that growth. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's tough. Like there's education and all kinds of stuff that you can do. You can read as many books as you want, but at the end of the day, until you hit a wall, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes founders and CEOs, you know, um, have, have some learning lessons that they've got to, that they've got to get first, um, yeah. before they can be ready for that, that help, whether it's, whether it's coaching or, you know, advisory or just day-to-day operations, quite frankly. Um, Well, you know, and, and, and I think the, the paradox of that, Jim, is that in a perfect world, we should all be doing this proactively. Yeah. I mean, boy, wouldn't that save us a lot of time, money and angst? Wouldn't, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Right. But to your point, so many of us just are like, Nope, it's going to keep doing it this way. I mean, it's it's like an addict or an alcoholic, right? They have to hit their lowest point and say, okay, now I need help and yeah. I'm willing to do it. And it's unfortunate that it's that way with so many companies, so many founders and CEOs that they have to. But 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 I mean, it was the same way with me. I was going on through my life, just shit wasn't working. And it was literally, there's so much in, in blind spots for me. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, when somebody says to me, my great coach, another story in the book, Heath Robbins, when Heath said to me, Carol, we were sitting, we were sitting in the bar um, in one World Trade Center when it was still there. So this is pre 9-11. It's a long time ago. And he said, Carol, you have trust and intimacy issues. <laughs> and it was like a light bulb went on. And I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. How have I never seen this in my whole <laughs> life? <laughs> so, I mean, it's ridiculous. And I love telling that story because, you know, it's, I, I mean, it, I was so blind to it that until he said it and I saw, oh, right. How have I never seen this before? But it was in that moment I could start putting structures in place to stop letting trust and intimacy issues get in my way. And man, did they get in my way a lot. And again, these were my personal issues and they all came into my business. Because you're a human being. Yes, because I'm a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's something that that I run into time and time again too, which is, you know, I classify it as founders thinking they need to be, and CEOs thinking they need to be superhuman versus human. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because your your team's relying on you, right? And, and investors are relying on you, and you know at the end of the day, your family's relying. And, and 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 there's this power complex that that you know when you go out into the market and you're at events, everything's got to be great, right? You can only talk about big exits and investment rounds and mm-hmm. you know huge growth, and and then you kind of break down. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 tough. It's tough, but. The good news is there's people like you out there, right? Um, 
that are able to talk through with folks and coach them through this because they're not alone. They, Mm -hmm. you know, founders are not alone. They have peers, first of all, Um, folks like you've been there. They have coaches, folks like you to lean on, and they've got um, to first just admit that it's okay to talk about it. Um, And, um, you know, that is, I know for myself, that was, that was instrumental, like my, my own, you know, coming out party, if you will, of of realizing (laughs) I needed a coach. I thought coaches were silly. I was like, why would I need a coach? Right. It's just, it's an hour or two of my time a week that I could be doing something. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? You are doing something by working on yourself first. Right. Uh, Well, that is, that is just so thoroughly important that, you know, that we realize the, I mean, it's really mission critical in my opinion, right? The nature, the mission critical nature of if you're going to lead a healthy company, you have to be a healthy CEO or founder. Yes. Yes. And, and again, we all have limitations and it's really important to find out those, you know, find, get into that dirt, as you call it, or into the blind spots where we can discover what those things are to put structures in place to keep those from limiting us further. Yes. You know, and, and, you know, once we can do that, we can then start to look at the rest of our organization and go, okay, how do we, how do we make this work for our whole organization? Right. You know, talent strategy, there's a million people out there coaching and there's a million people out there doing leadership training and development, but that, and that's all fine and wonderful, but you do not, you will not ever have a talent centric organization if you don't start connecting it to recruiting, retention, succession, leadership development, and employee development. Yeah. Really. Period. So, so that that strategy works for you as a company. You know, I, I always say one of the questions I ask is, and it, and it can be different, it, it might be different for every different um, uh, uh, employee, you know, type of role in the company, right? So, you know, a CFO might get, is going to get a different answer than uh, maybe somebody customer success, uh, you know, it, whatever that might be, or somebody, somebody else, which is how long do you want this person to work for your company? Mm. I had somebody say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. No, it's not. Yeah. Let's just be realistic here. Okay. People are probably not going to stay with you forever. And if you want them to stay with you forever, you better, we need to start putting together a strategy that recruits a whole different type of people. Right. That are going to, you know, we don't live in a world. Somebody said to me recently, a CEO said to me recently, and I'm probably going to get these numbers wrong, that by the time um, that that young people now who are just getting out of school and going to work, they're going to have something like an average of 20 jobs in their lifetime. I believe a it. A lot of jobs. I haven't had 20 jobs. Yeah, I believe it. Right. And and is is that is that because we're not preparing them? properly or because their parents have raised them in a way to think you don't have to be loyal to anybody or because we're, we're raising them to um, not know how to communicate hmm. or understand. I mean, it, you know, that's a whole separate conversation, sure. right? Confluence of factors. Yeah. Right. So, so it's really important. How long do you want this person? So if you're a startup and you've got a, you know, you've got a, um, a four-year vest with a one-year cliff, for example, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'd like people to stay at least this long, but in reality, we'd like them to stay six years. Okay, great. Well, that, that means part of your recruiting strategy is we're not going to go find people who've had a job every one to three. Right. That's just a very small example of doing this, right? 
Right. And part and of your asking your employees career paths, right? right? Right. That's right. Asking your employees. Not enough people ask their employees. Well, what do you want? They should ask this in the interview. Right. What are you looking for in a company? Once you know, once they've done all the sales and you've decided you really like them, you know, what are you looking for in your next organization? What's it going to take for you to say, yeah, I want to stay at this company for five to seven years, maybe longer. Yeah. Yeah. Culture of feedback. Culture of feedback. Culture of feedback. Talk to people. Back to your feedback loop and and three hallmarks. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's about this time we, we do this thing I like to call the founder five. Um, which is, you know, to close us off at the end of the show, right. you know, listeners, um, have, a, have a, have a, have a keen eye towards five rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to throw them at you real quick. You ready? Yes. I've been awesome. very nervous about these. I have to say, <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. You're going to do just fine. <laughs> because I have to get it right, Jim. <laughs> oh my goodness. Perfection. Going back to my point earlier, right? I have to get it right. <laughs> I don't want to look wrong or bad. <laughs> There's no wrong answer here. Uh, only incorrect. No, just yeah. kidding. Um, no. So, you know, number one, the, the top metric or KPI that that you're relentlessly focused on? Um, audience reach hmm. to get them to see that this is of importance and, and disrupting an industry. I mean, it, it's... You know, I can't give you an actual number on that, but it's really getting this message out. Of course, the book is helping with that and all the other work that I'm doing, but really getting people to understand the, the importance of this and in, in changing an industry. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, top tip for founders that are trying to grow their company. Don't be cheap. <laughs> Find the money to hire people in their genius. Mm. I don't care yes. what it takes. Figure it out. Go get a personal loan if you're bootstrapping, because those areas where their where their genius is not area where you're a genius. Don't waste your valuable time doing things you are not an expert at. Well said. That's all I can say. About well that. said. Um, other than your own, of course, which yes. uh, we've talked about. What is the, the the your favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow? So if I'm forced to choose one, and I'm going to give you a few, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but if I'm forced to choose one, hands down, it would be Fresh Air with Terry Gross. (laughs) Terry Gross, I think, is one of the most fantastic interviewers on the planet. She interviews some of the most interesting people. I mean, in, in in every vertical you can think of, entertainment, politics, you know, nonprofit, her questions are so thoughtful that I'm always learning and learning helps us grow. Right. In reality, though, there are several <laughs> aside from aside from fresh air. So I love Kara Swisher's podcast sway. I love her style. Um, I love the daily with Michael Barbaro. I love planet money. I love how I built this with Guy Raz. You know, he you know, he talks to founders also, but in a different way that I talk to them. Yeah. So I'm always interested in, you know, what he's talking about. And, you know, the, the, the bottom line there is that we all grow when we have knowledge. Yeah. So those are the Indeed. things that help me grow by having knowledge of other things and not seeing other points of view. So here's a, here's a fun one for you. 
uh, lighten things up a little bit. Yeah. What actress would play you in a movie? This takes me back to the 90s when Cheers was very popular. Oh, wow. And and I was your Jersey girl with the perm, right? I, w- I can't tell you the number of places I would walk into and they'd say, you know, you look exactly like that actor on Cheers. Oh, Kirstie Alley. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yes, I yeah. do see that. I, I still see the resemblance. Yeah. If I if I if I went back to having the curly hair, you'd probably see it more. Wow. But you know, we we you know had that very similar in the 90s. And um, I mean, literally, people would stop me all over the place. You know who you remind me of? That's a, <laughs> so. quite the compliment. She's kind of well, it, it is. I mean, I appreciate it. And you know, she's kind of and she's, you know, I would say she's sort of ballsy and authentic like I am. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I so. love that. I love that. All right, last one here. What is going to be the title of your autobiography? It's always something. How not to let circumstances manage your life. Ooh, cool. Very cool. You know, you've uh, obviously given a wealth of knowledge to our listeners today. Um, time for a little bit of self-promotion. I've you know, called out your book, Powered by People, a bunch. Um, but, you know, other than going to find that, making it a bestseller because it should be on the, you know, on, on Amazon. What is, uh, how can others help that are listening help you? Um, and, you know, vertical elevation, your company as well. How can they help me? Wow. Yeah. I'm usually, I'm usually used to saying, you know, how can I help you? But I know, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd say how, how somebody can help me would be to, after having heard this, is to look at who are the people around you? Who are the, the professional people around you? You know, are you working for a company? Are you, at a, are you at a high enough level at a company where if you approach your CEO and say, you know, we are having all the problems she's solving here. Mm. We should have a conversation with her. You know, or you know somebody who's a CEO or a founder who's been struggling. Yeah. You know, the, the biggest challenge you know, in the SMB space, which is where I am, because, you know, let's face it, Oracle's not going to change. SAP is not going to change. IBM's not going to change. Fill in the, you know, ginormous company of your choice, right? None of those companies are going to change. They could bring in McKinsey and pay them millions and millions of dollars. They're probably still not going to change. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get what it is to be talent centric. So in the SMB space, the biggest challenge for me is the smaller companies who don't have a lot of money. So how do we get how do we get you to do this? Well, you know, what you can do is say, well, let's see what it would cost to have you five hours a week to help coach and consult us. You know, that's 20 hours a month. Right. You know, that's I mean, 20 hours a month, I can help make a big difference. Or maybe they say, well, we can only afford you 10 hours a month. Well, we'll figure out a way. Let's start tackling the most important things, you know, because because the further you can get along the closer you can hopefully get to making more money and then being able to hire me to do, you know, to do a whole project for you. So that would be what I'd say. Well, there you go. And uh, if, if for some reason someone's like, yep, I know someone or that's me, how, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, they can either uh, go the old fashioned route and call me, (laughs) call me a dinosaur. I still believe that oral communication is the most effective. Uh, they can pick up the phone and call me. I'm at 303-805-7635. Or feel free to email me, carol at verticalelevation.com. And say you'd like to have a call with me. And I'm going to do one more plug for your book because it's so darn good and it just launched. Um, powered by People. Carol Schultz, thank you so much for joining us. And um, 
yeah, I, I'm sure we'll have you on as a guest again. Until then, you know, thanks for sharing your dirt. My pleasure, Jim. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt. <laughs>